what is what does a typical day in your your life would uh, uh, look typical yeah. working day yeah uh so before the the whole virus situation i had a very nice workflow um where uh i would i usually wake up about 6:30 and then i uh start my day uh like you know like usual stuff breakfast so on uh, and then i get to work uh straight away um it all depends on what needs to be done but you know i juggle the priorities uh there is one thing uh, that i would call a uh, switching penalty so if you need to switch focus from one project to another or uh basically from even from a bit less but from one programming language to another uh, there's a bit of penalty of, on your productivity and it's especially i see it when i have for example two clients working uh, for at the same time and then i switch from one project to another it takes a bit of time for your mind to adjust that okay this is this project and these things are relevant for this project uh so i try to switch the projects like switch between projects as little as possible so i wouldn't work half an hour on one project then switch to the other because it it doesn't make sense yeah. well at least it's not working for me um and how many and projects then, do you take up uh, uh, at one time uh i try to have less than 3 mm -hmm. uh ideally two i think two is an ideal number uh, two projects that are active um but sometimes you will have those ad hoc projects that just um, are really quick or customer has uh, basically one hour job for you to do uh, and then I would do them. I had weeks where uh, I did uh, work on five projects in a week, but you know, for a couple of them, it was just one hour. You know, so it's not not that big of a deal. That was that also includes consultancy projects, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, all all the stuff that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that I'm trying to make sure. Uh, is that uh, in my day that I get, of course, all the food that I need. So uh, it's I, I would never skip lunch. It's it must happen. Um, so no matter no matter how busy I am, uh, like me, uh, like I consider myself more important than uh, any projects uh, that I'm doing because I'm the like my health and uh, my. Uh, safety and like everything about me is the what i offer to clients so i need to make sure that i'm in the best shape um yeah, <laughs> yeah I, i'm not in the best shape right now but uh, yeah yeah um and also so re related to that uh before the COVID, i would have the rule that monday wednesday and friday at four o'clock i would be at the gym uh for at least one hour and i practiced that for about two years uh, before the virus happened and this was i think this was one of the best decision i well best decision or uh yeah uh, best thoughts about my uh my 
freelancing or consulting career uh, that I would just do that and set this time as the time for myself uh, because then even if the there is something urgent going on I can say okay uh, this this will happen but it can happen later because uh, it's my workout workout time uh, of course there were times when when I skipped that uh, but it was maybe two or three times in the last uh, two years uh, and it was because the project was very urgent like uh, basically someone would say that okay uh, we really need to have this done by uh, Sunday uh, and then I would just do that uh, but other than that I would be I would follow this rule uh, very I would be yeah I would try not to miss these days Mostly you try to maintain a balance and not get uh, too obsessed about a project that you compromise on your health and other areas. So, I mean, that was also one of your primary motivations to switch to freelancing because uh, you wanted to have a balance and uh, with the, doing such an independent work, you can choose whether you want to live a balanced life, whether you want to, you know, have lunch at the time that you want to do, or you can be flexible, but you still maintained a level of uh, balance in all the different areas of your life. And, and you, you managed to do it consistently as well. So, mm -hmm. and, and I mean, in the long term, probably uh, from a productivity standpoint, also, you have to take care of yourself. So you, you can take care of the projects, essentially. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, and another thing that's really important is sleep. Like you, you should get a proper amount of sleep uh, every night. Yeah. And I highly recommend it. It's, it's very good for you. <laughs> How many hours do you sleep? Um, I try to aim at eight hours. Okay, okay. Yeah, there's also a controversy around this thing, right? How many hours does one need? I yeah. mean, for me as well, I guess eight hours would be ideal. But there are some people who can function normally on six hours so they get mm -hmm. more time during the day yeah yeah but it's it's more individual yeah mm -hmm. yeah now let, let's talk about uh, skills uh, in general about uh, you know all different kinds of work that you do so talking about uh, a freelance engineer in robotics space you definitely need more skills than just the technical skills so what are the you know, core five or six skills that you would uh, have to learn if uh, you have to be a good freelancer and that you have to uh, brush up or practice on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. uh, well, so first, like, uh, like you mentioned, technical skills uh, is basically what your main offering to the customer, even if you are a consultant, because uh, your technical skills drive what you deliver. Yeah. Uh, so this this needs to be this is yeah I would say this needs to be very high on your list. Um, the second one would be communication, of course, because you need to uh, be able to communicate your ideas well with the team and with your customers. Um, and also as part of communication, you could say that sales is also part of this. Uh, 
maybe not, maybe not. We could say that sales is a separate thing that you could be, you should be mindful of, uh, because you need to sell your services, you need to sell you as a person. Uh, so it's good to have some ideas about that. Um, uh, it's good if you uh, know how to talk to people. Like for me, I struggle with that quite a bit because I'm a, uh, I'm an introvert, like really uh, introvert that I can behave like extrovert, extrovert at times. Uh, but situation is to call for it. I'd like uh, I'm most comfortable on my own uh, normally. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's uh, it's also part of communication that uh, whatever is your preference, you should be able to communicate uh, ideally with a large amount of people if needed, and it shouldn't uh, bring you down in any way. Uh, it will probably make you tired if you are introvert, but you should be able to pull this off. Um, and I think uh, it's also yeah a very soft skill, uh, but uh, not sure even if it's a skill. But uh, for me, curiosity is very important uh, because uh, if you are curious, you will want to know how things work uh, on a very. Um, technical level, like you, you will want to know almost everything about the system, how it works. Yeah. And having this sort of the map uh, maps in your head of how things work uh, also help you in the future uh, because you get this, you build this understanding of all the things that, uh, well, uh, that are used in the solution that you are developing, and then you know what to expect from certain things. Uh, for example, we can think about sensors in this way or actuators, and having a deep understanding of that, uh, of course, helps you deliver uh, more value to the customer because you know what you are interfacing with and you know uh, what to expect from that. Do you exercise your uh, curiosity? Do you, uh, or are you naturally curious? You you keep on questioning something, and then you dig deeper into it. You Google more and search more resources, or do you have a practice where you sit down and ask questions every single day? Or mm. how do you practice it? Or uh, no, I don't really practice it. It's it's an interesting thought, though. Uh, but I uh, I quite often go. So, for example, like uh, it comes up a lot when I do weekly robotics. So I will find some robot platforms. Uh, the latest example is this uh, stretch from Hello Robot. So the robot with this uh, Cartesian system that yeah. I've mentioned. Uh, so I've noticed that they have open source repositories. So I've started uh, looking through the code, seeing how they implemented things. And uh, I think you could say this is part of this, like uh, like this drive to explore things and see how things are made by uh, how other people do things and so on. Um, also, you get think, the... Yeah, continue, please. Uh, yeah, I think I basically finished. I didn't, don't know what I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, what I was saying is that also you get a 
lots of ideas when you're constantly curious and search more things and you know compile all these things so you you feed your mind with these things and then you also can generate more ideas for your work so is your work more uh, on the creative side or side or on the analytical side or a mixture of both probably a mixture of both right yeah i would say probably more analytical really in my in the work i uh, i actually get paid to do um, of course it would depend on the project customer and so on but usually you know it's uh, it's writing the code or interfacing the systems together uh, so this is something where you don't have too much room for interpretation because this is how the sensor works and this is the data stream that you get and this is how you need to handle this right yeah uh, so there there are not many creative way you can uh, do stuff here and if you do one uh, if you do need to get creative it's probably something is not right because it should be there should be a simple the simplest way for you to interface the system and simplest in my experience so far is the best yeah uh, because if you try to yeah do some workarounds and so on it's um, it, it's it's uh, then you need to support this code in some way and it's not that easy well and you also course, have deadlines so you have yeah you have deadlines as well yeah. yeah yeah exactly so it's it's more on the analytical side of things yeah i would say so like creative maybe if i have uh, some customers saying to me that they want to build a robot that will do this and this tasks and how could we approach this then it gets a bit more creative but uh, again we are talking robots so you will have sensors you will have actuators and yeah. there is not so much you can uh, yeah get creative not so, so much room for creativity yeah there is like a fundamental set of principles that you have to follow uh, yeah you have the sensors actuators and you have to have interface between that so that uh, i mean also you you could be creative as well but probably over the past several years there have been uh, so a set of standards might have been established which you have to follow which will make your work simpler so it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. to reinvent the wheel or think of your own ideas when already the other people might have done in the past well i think it's uh like we could say that there's a creativity in the implementation so that's the thing you are talking about uh, here and that's uh certainly well, probably another place where you can put too much creativity uh, but i think there is a very interesting uh, things can come up on a much higher level so for example if you wanted to interface your robot with a voice assistant right and do like bring all of these new technologies together and there you can have a quite bit of creativity going on so how you can put together the systems that already exist to do something uh, something novel and really curious yeah. so i think in robotics currently at least the kind of robotics that i do here is uh, that's the point where the most creativity comes uh, into effect yeah uh, when uh, also when you are probably taking uh, 
projects that require you to think from scratch maybe you are just given a statement that we need a robot like this and uh, and and hardware and the robot needs to do this particular set of activities mm-hmm. and then probably you need to be uh, more creative but uh, uh, generally speaking do you get more projects where you have to think uh, from scratch how to do these things or a particular a portion of a project that you have to do it and if it's like one particular aspect of the pipeline of the robot then you probably need to just follow uh, the way things are to be done mm-hmm. i mean in the analytical sense yeah so usually uh, it would be like this part of the system customers wants me to look at um for example like tuning the navigation or setting up navigation or localization on the robot uh so this is like uh this kind of work is the work that i get most often yeah uh but you know every now and then you get a project where okay we are starting from scratch we want to develop this robot that will have this kind of functionality uh how do we go about this um and then you know i'm in this flow of uh looking into actuator sensors and basically conceptually to put this robot together um uh, and then the customer can decide if this meets their requirements and then uh he will go with that so basically this is where i finish my consulting job uh and then they might realize that okay uh we would like to hire you as a uh developer on the team or or someone so this is where i come as a contractor so basically okay. i switch hats right so uh yeah so work on on the implementation side of things uh but it it really all depends on the customer and what they need to do and uh, what are the typical skills uh, now i mean you told about the soft skills that you require what are the typical uh, skills the technical skills that you would require so you would require ros and you would need to uh, know a few specific programming languages uh, also which is the programming language that is uh, that you work on more often which one is uh, more in demand for robotics and do you use other frameworks as uh, uh, robot frameworks apart from ros so like the tools and the skill set that you mm-hmm. use on a regular basis Yeah. Uh so I work uh mostly with Ros so this will be more Ros oriented answer. Uh but programming languages wise uh definitely you need to know C++ on some level because lots of drivers are written in C++. Uh there is some functionality in Ros that only works with C++. For example, um uh you have something called nodelets in ros so basically to put it simple normally in ros when you exchange messages the message is serialized so you have some object it's serialized it's sent over to another node that takes this information and does some work uh but you can have nodes uh which i believe is a shared pointer uh so this node writes to some object and this node can uh, pick this uh, object straight away and this way you don't have this overhead of serializing the messages and uh, there are some other things that you can uh, do only in c++ so i would say c++ is really 
required if you want to be advanced ROS user. Uh, Python uh, is basically, I love Python in ROS because it's so simple. It's you can do, uh, you can prototype really quickly, test stuff quickly, and um, if I have a choice, I would use Python. Uh, but of course, it will depend on the on the requirements of the system and on the node that I'm developing. If it's nothing really critical, I would go for Python because it would take me five minutes and not two hours, right? Uh, but it, it, it all really depends. Um, another thing that I do is uh, I do a bit of work with drones every now and then. Uh, so with drones, there is a, you have uh, those autopilot called Pixox. Uh, so this is an open source autopilot. And there you have basically two uh, flight stacks. One is called PX4 and the second one is called ArduPilot. Uh, so every now and then I work on, on these two. Uh, the, if the customer needs some integration, checking the flight logs and, and so on. Uh, but if you need to develop any drivers on them, you would need to use C++. Uh, so, so, yeah. Both are equally important, but you prefer uh, Python because of its simplicity and uh, ease of operation. Uh, yeah, but you know, it, it all depends on what needs to be done and how fast it needs to be. Like yeah. if you just need to pass one message uh, to a certain node and you don't care uh, how fast it's processed and so on, it's Python is usually good enough. Uh, but if you needed to go for real time uh, operation, then you probably would need to look into uh, C++. So, uh, yeah. apart from these uh, programming languages and uh, ROS as a standard tool, is there any other company-specific framework or tool that you use that you you probably would not be familiar with, but you'd have to spend some time to get familiar with, or the tools are not the what the company cares at all, and you are free to choose your own tools? Uh, so as usual, uh, it will depend on the company because they might have some requirements yeah. that they might have uh, no requirements, just want a working prototype. Um, but some other tools that's worth checking out, I think, is uh, the low-level programming. So if you are uh, just writing some embedded code and uh, if you are looking into embedded code, um, I would recommend checking out some real-time operating systems, like we have free Artos or Natex operating systems, and they are used quite a lot in the industry. And it's definitely something worth looking into, especially if you uh, work on robots that needs to be ideally real-time. Uh, so for example, if you use a mobile robot uh, with wheels, it usually doesn't need real-time operation. Uh, it's fine with the normal Linux operating system without any kernel patches. Uh, but if you are looking into a robot, balancing robot, for example, or uh, I would imagine humanoid or quadruped robots, uh, then you would 
probably needs stuff like that. So uh, it's useful to look a bit, at least a bit into real-time operating system. Um, but as usual, it, it depends uh, on the things you want to work on and the specific requirements. And uh, which was the, so you've worked on, how many projects have you worked on uh, till now as a, as a freelancer? Roughly, I mean. Probably over 20 projects. Uh, I, I would need to pick up the list, but it was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was, I built over 20 companies already, I think. Okay. Um, maybe even more. Uh, but I, I don't want to give you like well, false numbers here. Okay, okay. And what was the most interesting uh, project that you took? Uh, I think the conceptually the most interesting is uh, is this modular robot uh, that I told you about before. Uh, but also uh, one project that I really liked. Uh, was uh, there's a company making uh, autonomous lawn mowers. Oh. So this this is interesting. This is very interesting, and it's uh, they are also quite active in uh, Ross Agriculture uh, Slack. Uh, so they they are called Greensy, and it's uh, it's amazing uh, their progress over the last year or two is is amazing. Like you. you you should check out their uh, Twitter channel. It's uh, they have some cool stuff going on. Oh, nice! Um, I'll, I'll I'll check it out. It's interesting. I mean, uh, for things like you know vacuum cleaning a house or even the agricultural robots or lawn mowing, uh, you don't really need people, right? The, the person is mostly wasting his time moving the robot, uh, moving the machine around, and if you can make it autonomous, then it it's way more efficient, mm -hmm. saves a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another very interesting project I work on, but this was uh, even before I was a freelancer, uh, but I think it's uh, it's useful to mention it. Well, well useful. Well, I, I, I just like this project. Uh, so I was working for a company making uh, autopilots for drones and I was working on a project where basically we wanted to make a helicopter uh, be controlla controllable like like a car. Uh, so you know if you like flying helicopter is very difficult because you need to move a couple of things at the same time. Uh, so you have a lever uh, that moves up and down. And then uh, you also twist it uh, to adjust some things. And also you have the pedals uh, to go left, right. And it's uh, it's really demanding. Um, and of course you have the stick. Uh, but we yeah. we did the project where we basically made a kind of interface to the autopilot that allowed you to specify your own rules how the system who should behave on the input. And uh, as the output of this, we had the pro basically a prototype where you were able to control the helicopter like a car. So you would have a steering wheel, you would have pedals. Oh. And then this was enough for you to have a very 
precise control of a helicopter. So this was very, very interesting project. And uh, yeah, it's been, yeah, I think this was one of the most interesting projects I worked on. Okay, and uh, what was the, how long did it take you to finish that one? Um, I think this took about half a year, maybe 10 months. Uh, and, but this is because we had already an existing autopilot. Uh, so the autopilot was working well and it was like a couple of years of effort of getting this autopilot to work. Uh, uh, and then just this interface was the added value here. And this was this was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so what is actually uh, more difficult to uh, realize or build an autonomous uh, drone or aerial vehicle or autonomous a mobile robot, a wheeled robot, an AGV. Yeah. Uh, or it doesn't the, really matter. I don't know. Uh, what, mm -hmm. what do you say? Um, I think uh, probably a drone is easier in some way uh, because uh, the sensing is easier. Uh, assuming you had sensors all around your multi-rotor or, or a drone, uh, you just need to make sure you don't collide with stuff. Uh, and uh, it, it sounds simple, right? Um, but you have lots of maneuvering uh, possibilities, like up, down, left, right, follow trajectory yeah. and so on. Uh, with mobile robot, it's a much more difficult because if you have some terrain, uh, that you need to traverse. You need to make sure that you can actually go this direction because it's not so steep or there are not no holes in there, right? Uh, so this is quite difficult, I would say. Uh, but also it depends on uh, on the scenario. Like if you assume that the robot is deployed on the uh, on the road, for example, then you don't have this uh, issue with traversing and so on. Uh, but I still would say that the drones will be easier because um, you don't have to handle so much the the risk of collision with people hurting someone and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, you wouldn't want to fly them in spaces like uh, around cities and so on. Uh, and by the way, like. Uh, when it comes to autonomous drones, I don't know if you've heard of Skydio, uh, autonomous uh, drone. No. Uh, so it's a drone that has a couple of cameras, I think more than four, but I, I don't know the exact number. Uh, but they seem to have figured out the, the autonomous navigation and following people uh, at least. So they started as a sort of selfie camera uh, drone. <laughs> Uh, so you just pick the person on the screen and uh, the drone will follow this person. And um, if you check out their YouTube, uh, some of their YouTube videos, you will see that it manages well even in the forest because the, the company made really good uh, uh, slam solutions, obstacle avoidance. Yeah. And, and recently, this company started branching out into more uh, from consumer to B2B solutions. Mm -hmm. 
so they made a demo where this robot scans a bridge autonomously. Uh, so it flies around, uh, avoids all the obstacles, uh, and so on. So this is this is pretty cool. Uh, I'm really looking forward to see what they come up with. And I really hope they have an API at some point, so I can play with that. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you also have lots of drones in your, your background. So you also probably play around with drones apart from your, your work. Uh, any, any interesting side projects? Yeah, well, uh, those drones are actually not mine. So my girlfriend flies drones. Uh, she flies the, so these are some racing drones. Uh, so you can check out her channel. It's called Blue Owl FPV. I'll send you a oh, link later okay. on. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I but this is, some, this is some proper racing drones. Like you fly at about this angle and it, it's crazy what she does. <laughs> Uh, I cannot fly drones half as good. I, I manage not to crash, uh, but um, uh, she's much better than me in that. Um, you need a license to fly a drone, right? Uh, it depends on the country. Uh, for recreation, you don't usually. Uh, up to a again, certain size. Yeah, up to a certain size, but this will differ between countries. Uh, but if you want to do it for professionally, you usually need uh, need a license, as at least in the countries I know of. Interesting. That's that's a nice hobby as well. Sounds yeah. very fun. <laughs> yeah. So now uh, let's talk about uh, learning and education because you you. You told that you self-taught yourself a lot of things as you became a freelancer. Did you learn ROS on your own? Yeah, I've learned it on my own as well. Okay, uh, we can also talk about uh, what resources you used, how you taught yourself ROS. Uh, but uh, generally, what are the things that uh, one should focus on learning? I know the primary would be programming, but for someone who is starting out what what is the primary thing that he should focus on and then after that what should he learn should he what should his uh, private curriculum look like if he can design it in in a way mm -hmm. so this is actually uh, pretty difficult um, because uh, if I, as i said earlier i was uh, I, I was taking university classes, so yeah. they took us through the whole curriculum. And because I was studying mechatronics on my first year, I was learning chemistry, you know, like chemistry, <laughs> like mat like material science, all this kind of stuff, like me uh, mechanics, electronics, and so on. Um, so the most difficult thing uh, for me, if I had to learn from scratch, uh, like knowing what I know about the stuff that I'm doing, uh, would be finding the resources. Um, because if you want to do robotics, you need to have at least some idea about the mechanics, electronics, uh, control systems, and uh, programming. So I think those are the core four things that you need to uh, have some idea about. Not necessarily you know, you have to learn it on the 
like the master's students level uh, but okay. at least you should have uh, some intuition about things like that um, so I wouldn't be able to point you to some specific things to look at uh, but I would focus on those four things uh, or alternatively uh, I would recommend checking out some Arduino projects and starting uh, to work on things uh, basically a very hands-on approach uh, because you will find heaps of tutorials on Arduino motor control like so you could follow this uh, step by step and then uh, you would be probably wanting to extend that or see that uh, you know for example you could follow some tutorial to build an Arduino four-wheel robots let's say and then I imagine you could ask yourself a question, okay, what would it take for me to use different motors, right? And this can lead you to learning about different kinds of motors that you have and how they work underneath it. And then from that, you sort of start looking into, okay, I need to have more control on these motors. So I start looking into uh, encoders yeah. and then uh, you have a motor, you have an encoder and okay, um, maybe you will come up with the uh, yeah you will see something going on about PID control and then you will start uh, looking into that and working with that uh, but I think that like for me it's very easy to say that because I I know that all these things come together but yeah. uh, I don't know how it is for the person who doesn't have uh, all the knowledge that I have obviously uh, yeah that's true so, but I imagine if you started with some tutorials that you understand and you follow through, uh, then at some point uh, you will be able to ask questions. And uh, if you find a place where you can get this, the answers to these questions, then this would help a lot with self-learning. Learning. Um, so I think Reddit is a good place for stuff like that uh, because some of the communities there are really helpful. Um, in terms of software uh, development, so this is way easier because you just, uh, you know, you could just do software. Uh, you, you will find plenty of books uh, on software. Uh, yeah, so I would, well, the way I usually do that was to follow a book and like read that book cover to cover and then look for another book or try to apply what I've learned in some personal projects. Um, so I think uh, this would be, yeah, programming is way easier uh, than all the everything about robotics coming together. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely it, it's possible. Like everything is possible if you are motivated enough, and you start looking into this. Do you think uh, uh, one can learn robotics without a formal education? Because it's a lot of things that you have to cover, and uh, yeah. you you probably have all the resources online, but you won't have. Uh, the structure and the guidance required. Do you think mm -hmm. it's possible to yeah. learn on your own and become a 
freelance or even get a job uh, without any formal education uh so i definitely think it's possible uh i think lots of companies care about uh what you know and what you can actually do uh, than the education that you get Uh, but the thing is, like, if you are starting out, you don't know what you need to learn. Uh, yeah. So this is the main difficulty with robotics. Uh, so this is where university helps a lot. Um, but if I didn't know anything about robotics and I needed to, uh, and I needed to learn it on my own or wanted to learn it on my own uh, properly. I would probably start looking into the robotics curriculum on university because I don't know okay. how it is in the rest of the world, but uh, in Poland we had uh, all the classes uh, described, all the modules that you would take when you joined robotics, uh, uni uh, well, uh, robotics uh, course. Uh, so this would be, I think, would be a good starting point because at least it gives you a high level topics that you would need to cover to get the knowledge you want. Um, alternative is what I said with the Arduino, for example, and doing projects on your own. Uh, but the, I think the key thing that universities give you is access to hardware. Uh, because if you need a robot arm, like a proper robot arm, it would cost about probably at least $7,000 for for some cobot arm um, for any higher than uh, like that for any big bigger arm it will be probably tens of thousands so on if you are on a like a home budget it's not really feasible mm -hmm. Uh, so this is a very good thing about university because you get to work on these things with people that uh, know some things about these systems. Uh, so for me, this is this would be the biggest advantage of uh, yeah going to university for robotics. Okay, and uh, you also mentioned that uh, for someone who is starting out, he, he should focus on building small projects using Arduino and then you know swap the motors to understand different things and build up upon that. And mm -hmm. uh, this is like a different approach to learning robotics then, for example, you know, uh, taking courses online or even at a university, then you, you learn a lot of theory and then maybe you take up a project at the end to apply some portions of it. Which of the two ways of learning is, is better for robotics? Because in university, probably you'll be spending most of your time learning the theoretical uh, aspects and concepts which are really important but at the same time if you are doing it on your own you are probably also quickly experimenting the things maybe with the arduino and then look up online to only get the information that is required mm -hmm. uh, i think the idea uh, solution would be actually both approaches at the same time okay uh, because then you, you have the best of the two worlds right uh, what ne you need to be mindful of is if you look up some tutorial, uh, I don't know, on Instructables with uh, some motor control, uh, for example, they 
they won't touch too much on theory, most likely. Yeah. Um, so there is a chance that if in your in your discovery work, because this is quite a bit of discovery work that you need to do to find all the things that relate to that, uh, you might miss some things that are quite obvious if you are on the university because that's the first thing that you are learning. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, you might go through all of like many projects, build robots and uh, don't realize that certain stuff is even exists in robotics. Uh, I, I cannot think of an example uh, straight away, but uh, you probably get what I, what I mean. Yeah, I, I get um, what you're saying. Yeah, but on the other hand, like, I think the most important uh, thing is uh, your drive to learn. Uh, because even if you didn't have this formal education, but you, for example, bought this uh, Pixog drone, uh, Pixog based, so basically autopilot for for a drone, and you started experimenting with that, you built your own quadrocopter, you put the autopilot on it, you started flying it, learning how it flies, why it flies the way it does, and then uh, integrated your own sensors, you would learn quite a lot. So maybe you wouldn't learn everything about robotics, yeah. but in this niche field, you could become quite an expert, especially on these autopilots. And already this can be very attractive to some of the companies, right? Because they do projects that relate to this autopilot. Uh, if you know how to create software for it, then it, that that's all they need, right? So it can be very, you know, th this can be one of the ways. Um, but the the problem is, not, not a problem really, but a consideration here is that uh, uh, should you learn really a broad scope of things and then narrow it down? Or should you start in this narrow down thing? So you are making a bet basically on this narrow field and hope that this gives you uh, something in life. Uh, hopefully, well, you treat it as a hobby. So it's not a winning or losing game because uh, you enjoy it and you are learning and you don't expect anything from it. Yeah. Uh, so this is a perfect place to be. Uh, or you could take this approach like your broad knowledge is what you get from the university and your work on this autopilot is what you do in your spare time and you are uh, going really in depth uh, in this direction. Uh, so this is sort of, of what I did uh, really uh, with my university classes, touching on all the things and I've, I'm me focusing on robots, uh, on drones. Yeah, in, in robotics, it can be a, a really difficult question which area to focus on because robotics is like really vast. You can you can consider uh, autonomous driving or, you know, uh, pick and place robots or, you know, the, the vacuum cleaning ones, autonomous robots and different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, obviously the natural tendency would be to learn all of it, but it's not really possible. So uh, also from uh, an industrial point of view, people would be looking for an expert in one particular area, for example, like you mentioned autopilot. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the same time, if you get a broad uh, 
skill set maybe being an expert in one area but having a, an overall knowledge about the others then it would also be a good uh, long term maybe this particular area is is does not have that many job opportunities or mm-hmm. freelance work then you can switch to other one and explore more yeah and also like you can if you it depends on your goals if you just want to do if you want to do robotics uh, like robotics is so broad you could be doing just mechanics for robotics yeah. so you can focus on mechanics because that's what interests you and then i'm sure you will have plenty of jobs to do you don't need to cover everything you don't need to learn about electronics of software if that's not interesting for you because mechanics might be the one thing that you want to focus on and it's perfectly fine it's uh um yeah but yeah it it, it all depends on you what you want to do yeah so it, it's more of a personal choice which area do you want to be great at or do you want to have like two or three areas that you would target essentially mm-hmm. yeah all right hope you got a lot of information lot of useful information from this particular portion of the talk this was part 2.2 professional of the conversation with mateusz sadowski in this talk we talked in more depth about the different projects that he has done how you can be learning robotics on your own is it even possible to build your own robotics curriculum and start learning from scratch and a lot of other interesting things related to freelancing but also related in a more general sense uh, to robotics if you enjoy it consider subscribing and hitting the bell icon so that you get notified on time whenever the next podcast the next episode is live also if you're someone who would prefer to listen to the podcast rather than watch the full length videos I upload the entire podcasts in audio format on all major podcast platforms including Spotify and Google Podcasts. So feel free to check out the Building Culture podcast on your favorite podcast platform. But the talk with Matt is not over yet in the last part of the conversation part 3 inspirational of the talk with Mateusz Sadowski we dig a bit deeper into the inner workings of his mind. sounds a bit too intense but essentially what we are trying to do is understand what actually inspires him towards robotics what is his way of thinking and a bit towards the motivation aspect of things in general <laughs>